Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you to our worship team today. Hey, thank you for being here and watching wherever you are. You're, take your Bibles, Acts chapter 2. I'm still in this sermon series, the Ultimate Guide to the Christian Life, and I'm just a couple more sermons and I'll be finished, maybe just one more, and I'll, I'll be finished with it. And we're trying to elevate our walk with God, right? How do we get to that point in our walk with God? We really feel like we're in a deep connection with God. He's walking with us. He's talking to us. We feel his presence in our life. It's what we all want, right, in our relationship with the, with the Almighty, but we kind of want to jump there and we skip the process. And the process is we've got to have these disciplines in our lives. It's kind of the trenches of the Christian life. I've got to go through the trenches to get to the mountaintop. And so that's kind of what we're looking at. And so we've looked at these steps that are just necessary. And I'm not telling you I'm listing all of them, uh, but I'm listing most of them that are necessary for us to finally elevate our walk with God. And so today, man, I'm just going to be rubber meet the road as plain as I can be, nothing, nothing fancy or cute about outline or sermon or anything. So I'm going to preach on this subject, five reasons church is important, Acts chapter number two, five reasons church. Because here's what we know, here's what we know. If I want to elevate my walk with God, I can't ignore the church, I, can't, I just can't. Uh, the Bible says, we'll talk about it. Jesus died for the church, so if he died for it, I've got to pay attention to it, I've got to make it a, a prominent thing in my life, a central thing in my life. Life, And so we're going to look at it in Acts chapter number two. So let me just kind of dive in for a moment. There's been a lot of drawbacks on the pandemic, right? Like, I know I'm, I'm almost tired of talking it. I'm really tired of living it, you know, but I, I, we're almost tired of it. There's been some good things. Every now and then you'll see a list of good things that have come out of the pandemic. Some of you are glad you're getting to work from home, right? Like you're thrilled with that. Some of you would give good money to get away from home, right? Like you're tired of being at home too, too much. But one of the things they're studying is... Uh, an organization called The Scientist is leaning in on research about what it might be costing us in the long term. For example, uh, what The Scientist says is that we are missing out on touch. And they're starting to do studies. They've been doing studies on touch long before the pandemic because when they, here's what they know. Here's what The Scientist said. Here's what we know. That when you touch, uh, number one, you improve the body's immune system. Like when you bolster the connection between touch and the immune system, a study in 2014 found that hugging like might lower your susceptibility to the virus that causes the cold. Now get that. When you hug, you have the least chance or a stronger immune system against a virus. Now listen to me. I'm not a scientist or a doctor or don't play one on TV. Like I, I am not any of this. But here we're living in a society that's telling us not to touch when the science before this told us that touching strengthens your immune system against viruses. Now, I'm not advocating you go out, ignore everything everybody says, but I'm just saying the research was there that when we touch it, it improves the body's immune system. Not only that, you have better sleep and less pain. Research says that you have better sleep and better sleep lowers the body's emissions of a neurotransmitter called transmitter P, which is what transmits pain. So touch leads to better sleep, which leads to less pain. So you have better sleep and less pain when you hug. Not only that, they figured out you have less stress in your life when you have touch in your life. Touch increases do dopamine 
a neurotransmitter with reward. And not only does that happen, it also increases oxytocin, which is the cuddle hormone, they, they call it. And it's a number of studies show that, that couples, when they hug each other before a stressful task, that their cortisol or the stress hormone decreases and oxytocin increases. And so when you have touch from a trusted person, for example, it buffers the effects of stress in your life and less pain. So here's, the, you touch and you, and you have a, a higher immune system, you touch, you sleep better and less pain. You, you, when you have touch, you, uh, and look, by the way, you don't know this, my wife sits right over here it, when she's here in the sermon. I kiss her every uh, um, time before I walk on the stage. And, and uh, I just do it because I'm trying to get a kiss. And she can't really say no in public is what I'm trying to do. But, <laughs> but I found out that it lowers stress. Lowers stress. Like, it's, it's good. Well, there's not only that. We're spending too much time in isolation. We're not touching. We're spending too much time in isolation. Matter of fact, people in isolation say uh, people routinely confuse uh, in isolation uh, report confusion and changes in personality and a hyper increase in anxiety, anxiety and depression. One study in England found out that social isolation, get this, and loneliness are always associated with poor physical and mental condition. That, that social isolation and loneliness lead to poor physical, physical, and mental condition, isolation and loneliness. And so here, here's what one professor said, and I don't know her, but it was in the study and I love it. We are a social species. We really need others to survive. We're a social species. We're not designed to live without touch. All sorts of research been done on babies and that. We're not, it's not designed to live without touch and we're not designed to live in isolation. That leads me to a guy You've probably never heard of him. He's a French guy, and I didn't take French in high school, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my best. His name is Michel Siffray. Oh, come on. I get nothing for that? I get nothing <laughs> for my southern French accent? I'm going to call him Michael. All right, Michael went into a cave in 1972 in Texas that was 100 feet below the ground for the longest experiment in human isolation ever done. And he was going to stay 100 feet underground, complete darkness except for his own lamps, and never see anybody, and rarely, rarely talk to anyone. And he meant to stay six months. He did. And he took 780 jugs of water the research team put down there with him. After after five weeks, he was living on a 26-hour circadian cycle, which is how long you, your sleep and awake pattern. So for five weeks, he, he had already elongated his days to 26 hours. On day 37, he went to a 30-hour cycle. And from that point forward, he, his circadian cycle was 30, 40, and 50 hours. For, for staying, sleeping sometimes as much as 15 hours at a time. And he had no idea how long he'd been down there. He was not allowed to watch or, or any kind of time-telling piece at all. By day 77, out of 180 days, he had lost the dexterity to string beads together. Researchers said he could barely string thoughts together. On day 79, he called his colleagues and begged, begged to be taken out of the cave. Uh, but they didn't do it. And so they left him in there. He said he considered, in his journal, he wrote he considered suicide, but he was afraid of the debt he might leave his parents if he did that. On day 160, with 20 days left, he saw a mouse in the cave and plotted for the next 10 days how to capture the mouse and make it a friend. On day 10, he tried to capture the mouse, and he killed it instead. And in his diary in the cave, he wrote, Desolation 
overwhelms me. The experiment ended on August 10th, 1972, and a full six months he made it. If you talk to him today, if you read some of the things he wrote, here's what you'll tell you, that desolation and despair, isolation brought him to his knees. Why? We aren't made for isolation. We as human beings aren't made to be isolated. But I want to tell you that. It's not only true just for human beings, it's true for the church as well. See, in Christianity, if you're not careful, careful, when we live in a hostile world, when we live in a world that is countercultural to Christianity, when we live in a world that does not hold our values, if we're not careful, we'll get into a low-touch, high-isolation environment, and our Christianity will wind up withdrawn from the rest of the world. And had God just left it that way, oh, how lonely and isolated we would have been, but he He gave us something to avoid that isolation and avoid that anxiety and the pain of being alone. Jesus gave us the church. And when we've gone in our society to a touchless, isolated society, for the Christian, we have the church. Why? That God has designed the church to be a high-touch environment. God has designed the church to be a high-touch environment. You know that Paul said in his epistles to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, keep your lips off, people, in church, all right? We will report you for that. But we have replaced the holy kiss with a holy handshake and a holy hug and a holy prayer praying for you, praying hands on top of you. Church has always been designed to be a high-touch environment, but it's also designed to be a high-interaction environment as well. We're not meant to be isolated in the church. As a matter of fact, we're the opposite of isolation. If you read, say the Bible, you'll see a word or, or an, uh, uh, that jumps out at you is the word community, that we are meant to live in community together. And today we are told to that we are to be high touch and high engagement with one another, high interaction, not high isolation, but high interaction with one another. The early church had to, and by the way, so do I want to tell you the church is not optional. You, you don't come to Christ and, and then go to church if you feel like it or want to. The package goes hands in hand because Jesus said this. The Bible says this, that Jesus gave himself for the church, that Jesus died for the church. How can we not be committed to what Jesus gave his life for? You'll never elevate your walk with God being indifferent or complacent about the church so let's read what got what was happening in the early church look in Acts chapter 2 if you have your Bibles Acts chapter 2 and stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it's on the screen if if you don't have your Bibles Acts chapter 2 look at verse 41 so those who accepted the message were baptized and that day about 3,000 people were added to them They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. And all the believers were together and had held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. And they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. 
And every day the Lord added to the number those who were being saved. Thank you. You may be seated. So it's our picture of the early church, right? How it was operating in the book of Acts is how God intended for operating our day. So let me tell you five reasons. There's more, but let me give you five reasons we learn in there why church is important. Number one, the church is important because the message matters. Church was important because of the message they carried. See, the church wasn't then and the church isn't that now just a place to hang out. Like we're not an organization, but we do organize things. We're not a business, but we do business things. We have fellowship, but we're not a foundation. We have members, but we're not a club. We have friends, but we're not a fraternal organization. What separates us from all those things? We are the place and the people that carry the most important message in the world. What is that message? It is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, we, we sometimes forget. We sometimes forget that the main job of our church is to tell a lost and dying world that Jesus and Jesus only saves. Can I tell you this? The gospel message is the only thing that stands between an eternity in heaven and eternity in hell. You say, preacher, you still believe in hell? I do because Jesus taught there was a hell and I do because the Bible says there is a hell and I still can't get away from what the Bible says because we've not had anything proven that hell is a place of awful fire and torment that goes on forever and ever and ever and ever without end and the only thing that stands between you and an eternity in heaven in the next heart breath heartbeat and breath that you may not have is the gospel message of Jesus. So I want to tell you this morning, hear me, the God, Jesus is not one of the good ways to heaven. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Listen, I want to tell you, look, you come to church and we want to be this kind of church, right? I want to preach on the family in the next couple of weeks. We, we want to be the kind of church that helps your family, that when you come here, you get helps and tools and sermons that help your family. We want to help your finances. We want to help your life. Right? We want all of that. But get, hear me, those are not the main message of the gospel. The main message of the gospel is Jesus and Jesus alone saves. It's the only message. I'm not trying to be cute with our messaging as church. I love cute stuff. I love funny stuff. Like I, I, I'm all into funny stuff. We're not trying to do all that. We're trying to be very direct because people need to understand that without Jesus, you die and go to hell. Let, let somebody else be cute. Let somebody else be funny. Like they do it really well. Like I love funny stuff. And like, like other people do funny really well. Let funny be their message. Let the gospel be our message. I read this week about a restaurant in Texas who, who, who upped their funny game like they're really good and they were trying to open back up and so they got one of those signs that you can change the sign you know like some churches have where you can change the sign most churches are horrible horrible at what they put on their sign and so uh we're just not good at it we're just bad at it and so that's why we don't we don't do any of that stuff because we just don't trust ourselves and so we just peevine that's what it says peevine there's a website just go there so don't try to be funny you know we're not good at it as churches in general and so um uh, but re- other people are. So this restaurant, it, it put, let employees put stuff out. And like, here's one of them. I just realized my trash goes out more than me, right? Like, that's, that's pretty funny. Now, this one's rude. This next one's rude, but it's pretty funny. Um, uh, just remember, someone out there is quarantined with your ex, <laughs> which is shameful. But um, um, uh, this is funny. 
Uh, what if nobody was president? We all promised real hard just to be cool, right? Oh, what a great, what a great world that is. Well, how about this one? Is your refrigerator running? Because I might vote for it. You know, that's, that's pretty good. I love this one, man. This is COVID right here. I never imagined I'd go to the bank teller with a mask on and ask for money. That's awesome. We used to couldn't wear a hat into a bank, and now we get going with mask on. Um, uh, and then this one, you, you had to be a millennial to get it, but um, have we tried putting 2020 in rice? <laughs> you know, you put your phone in a rice bag. I still had to explain it. If you don't get it, it's all right. And finally, last one. This one's truth, man, truth. When this virus is over, I still want some of y'all to stay away from me. <laughs> like they're good at it, right? Like let, let them be cute. Th- those messages are funny and they're cute, but can I tell you this? They aren't eternally life-changing. And the reason the church is such a priority and the reason church is so important is not because we're trying to get a bunch of people in the building. No, it's our message that matters. And when you come to church, you're saying the message matters, the gospel matters. When you serve, when you give, when you invite others, when you welcome somebody, when you pray, when you sing, all of that says the message, it matters. It matters. If you're new to our church, watch it online here in the room, Ross, wherever you may be. Listen, that's why you, you say, what is your church all about? I'll tell you what our church is all about. Our, our church is all about the message. There's so many good things we can do that will make you more comfortable on your way to hell. But that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to say there's one thing that stands between you and hell, and that is the cross of Calvary. That's our message. That's why our mission is reaching every person in Peavine City with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? That's the message that matters. I'm going to tell you, there's no other organization, there's no other body, there's no other entity that's charged with the message but the church. And we see it right here. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And on the day, 3,000 people were added. And every day the Lord added the number of those being saved. Early church was all about the message. Number two, church is important because it's the place you grow in grace. Look at this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, again, this is hard to fathom a little bit. There were no books on Christianity in Acts chapter number 2. There were no books, but there were no books on Christianity in Acts chapter 2. There were no podcasts. That'd been cool, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be great to have a podcast of Peter and Paul sitting around a table with a big radio microphone in front of them and arguing, uh, debating over circumcision among the believers in Jerusalem? Because that's actually a real thing in the book of Acts. And it'd be great to have that. We don't, we don't have that because there were no podcasts. There were no blogs. There was no Instagram. There was no TikTok. There was no devotional. There were no, look, can I tell you that? No Bible commentaries because you know why there were no Bible commentaries? There was no Bible. I didn't have a Bible. They had letters that apostles had written under inspiration to the churches and they had some old testament scrolls that was it that was it there was no bible how in the world did they grow in christ there was one way to grow in grace and be grounded in truth and understand how to apply christianity to the culture and everyday living you know what it was you went to church to be grounded in the apostles doctrine and teaching you went to church to be grounded you know what we call that? Discipleship. It's supposed to be that way. Now, you know, you know how we do it today? 
We're supposed to do it that same exact way. It happens when you come to church and you hear me preach. It happens when you come to church and you sit through a small group leader who teaches you from the Bible. It happens when we have a Bible study and you go through that Bible study. But get this, it's not just the transfer of information. It's not just figuring out facts out of the Bible. That is not discipleship. That is not what he's talking about. It is about trying to figure out life together around the Word of God. That's why small groups are so important. You know why? You you know why we take young couples and we put them all in a small group together? You know why? Because we need them to, they need to figure out how to do life together for Christ, getting 30 minutes of sleep a night with a newborn baby, right? Any of you empty nesters want to be in that class? I don't. I don't. I want to keep my grandchildren during the waking hours. I've done the other already. We, we put them together so they can get into the Word of God and figure out how to live for Christ in this culture with small children. We, we, we take teenagers and we put them in groups together because when they go to their school, they need to know how to live for Christ together in a culture that's, that's antagonistic toward their values. And we take empty nesters and we put empty nesters in groups together so they can figure it out. And we take senior adults and let them figure out how to serve Christ together in group. Why? Because the place you grow in grace is not just about information. It's about transformation. You can get information anywhere. Can I tell you, that's why, listen, that's why it's not good enough to, uh, to get your, your I want, to, I want to call a preacher's name. It's, well, it's not, you're going to have to watch a TV preacher at home. You know why? That's not church. It's not church. Church is when we come together and do life together and grow in grace together. They met. Oh, hundreds, thousands, maybe a thousand people are watching online right now. In online church, we've all had to do it, right? We've all gone through it. We, we've get there. And I want to say, man, those of you at home who are sick and vulnerable, stay home. I'm not talking to you. But listen, can I tell you this? Online church was meant to be a supplement and temporary, not the pri- You can't do church the way it's meant to be done online. You say, preacher, are you saying everybody ought to come back? No, some people ought to, uh, ought to, ought to stay away. But I w- here's your litmus test. If you're going everywhere but church, yes, come back. You can say amen or oh me right there, whichever one you prefer. Right? Because church is not church unless we're doing it together. Together. Because this is a place we grow in grace together. Third reason church is important is this, is that fellowship is part of the membership. Look at that same verse. The second part says, and they devote themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I tell you where we get a little confused about church life is we only think in terms of me or I. That is, what 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 am I getting at church? So we have we 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 say it this way. We have conversations like this when we get in the car. I hope the I hope the music is good. I hope the worship is good. I hope we have good songs. I hope my Sunday school teacher is on point. Uh, I know the preacher is going to be good today, like he always is. I know he's going to be good. I know that's the conversation you're having on the way to church. And so like, like, but all of that is in terms of me and I. We, we, when we not, should not be thinking about ter- church in terms of me. We ought to be thinking about church in terms of us. That is, not what, am I, what, not what am I going to church to get, hold on, but what am I going to church to give when I'm there? 
you're not careful, you'll have the thought, I don't need to go to church today. That'll run through your mind. And we'll fail to understand that that's a get mentality. You do need to go to church today because you're here to give as well. You have to understand that the body cannot function properly. We're members of that body have quit doing what they ought to do. And we learn that in this word right here, fellowship. In the Greek, it is that famous Greek word koinonia. And it meant to be a participant. It meant to share. It meant to impart to someone else. The fellowship meant that they weren't just going to church to get, but they were at church to help and give others. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, preacher, I don't preach and I don't sing. I don't teach. What do I have to give? Well, listen, that, that's so secondary to what a church ought to be doing. We are here to bear one another's burdens. That has to be done at church. We're here to impart encouragement and kind words to the downtrodden and discouraged. You may not need church. That's very debatable. You, you do need church. But in your mind, you may be saying, I don't need church. But can I tell you this? The church, the body needs you. Somebody every Sunday needs to see you enjoying your Christianity, enjoying church. They need to see you faithful to worship, faithful to serve, faithful to give. They need to hear a kind word. They need to have you pray for them. They need to hear you teach God's word. That's called fellowship, and it's part of being a member. Fourth reason church is important is this, is it's where you invest in eternity. Now, I preached the other day on generosity. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but notice what he said in verses 44 and 45. Now, all the believers were together and held all things in common, and they sold their possessions and property, distributed the proceeds to all as any who had need. And we're told in Acts chapter 4 that when they sold these possessions, they brought them and laid them, literally laid them at the apostles' feet here at the altar, and they called it an offering. Now, it's not just an offering. It was an act of obedience and sacrifice and generosity. We would call it our offering day, our offering time. It's an investment in eternity. That, that's why the church is important. Did you know when you give here, you're setting up an eternal investment for yourself. You know, we, we try to take the best of our ability, every single dollar that is given here and steward it well and put it into the mission and ministry of our church, every single dollar. We're so careful about not wasting any of our tithes and generosity that's given. Why? Because this is where you invest in eternity. And Jesus told us that, right? Matthew chapter 6. But store it for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. That they knew when they gave it church to get the gospel out and to meet the needs of others, it was an eternal investment. That when you give and are generous, here look, they were selling items of value, property. That look, they might have said something like this. They might have used this language before they were saved. They, they might have said something like, this is an, an eternal heirloom because it had been in their generation for years and years. And they sold those things. Why? Because they knew nothing in this world was going to last. But the souls of men and women and kids and teenagers, those last eternally. Let's, let's get it into the mission field as much as we can. Church matters. It's important because it's the place where you invest in eternity. Number five, and I'm finished. Church is important because it's where we get heaven practice. In verse 47, he said, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Praising God. Now, you can't read about the early church without 
noticing their obvious, energizing and enthusiastic praising God. Matter of fact, you see it all over, right? It's all over the book of Acts that when they met, there was this praising God atmosphere. We, we see it in a couple chapters more. They were so excited about worship on a Sunday or what it, it was Sunday that, that two people died in the church service. I, I, I feel like sometimes we talk about that and I always like to stop for a minute and say this, two people died in the church service. And uh, so that's a bad Sunday. Wasn't for them. Went for them. Matter of fact, the coroner, our Jimmy Sperling, uh, looked at them and said, yep, boys, they're dead. What do you want us to do? Well, tell Denny, sing verse 2, and I guess carry him out and put him in a grave. I don't know what to do. And the Bible makes the most unnecessary statement ever in the Bible, and great fear came upon all the church. You think? I mean, you think, really? Because they, they lied to God, and they dropped dead at the offering time, and, and they just carried him out, and can you imagine, you know, the song leader version of Acts chapter 5, you know, getting up and saying, all right, verse 2, I'd suggest you sing if I were you right here. Let's go, let's go. Great fear, because, man, they weren't going to stop worshiping. They were excited about the opportunity to gather as believers, worship, worship a risen Savior, sing praises of God, and experience, hey, experience the presence of God. You, you know that, right? Like, they're... You ever feel God's presence in a place? I have people tell me that from time to time. They're like, preacher, when we, when we pulled on the property, we felt, we felt the presence of God here. It's supposed to be that way. Not, not that God inhabits the building, but he inhabits the people. And Psalm tells us he inhabits the praises of his people. And did you know that what we do in a worship service is the one thing we know we'll be doing in heaven. You know, you're not, you're not going to get to give in heaven. It's all, you better give it now. You, you don't get to give it later. You're not going to get to uh, witness in heaven. That, that day's passed. That, that, is, that, that is sealed and that barrier forever be closed and there's no chance to witness in heaven. You, you know what we are going to do? We are going to get to have church in heaven and sing in heaven. We, we see it all over, but look, look in Revelation 15. They sang the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb. Great and awe-spying are your works, Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nation. This is a song. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. So that's why I called it heaven practice. The one thing we'll get to do in heaven is what you get to do and we get to do on Sundays, and that is worship a risen Savior. Close your Bibles. I'm, I'm finished. I'm finished. During World War II, all kinds of production involving metals and wood and iron and copper, brass, all that steel, um, was halted by the American government, and it all had to go into the war effort. Those metals were used to make tanks and guns and artillery and bullets, and you, you get transport items, you get it. Many musical instrument makers in America at the time were faced with a choice because they weren't allowed to get the materials to make musical instruments. So they said, uh, you can either make war-related items, retrofit your factories, or you can just shut down until after the war. And most of them knew that if they shut down until after the war, they'd just go out of business. And so one of those 
companies was Steinway and Sons. Now, you, you may not know, but Steinway and Sons is probably the most famous and prolific piano maker in America. And Steinway and Sons, faced with do we, uh, do we shut down or do we make something to help the war, decide to make parts that help the war. And so when the war started, they began to make parts that help build transports that carried troops. But 1941, the government came to them and said, uh, to Steinway and Sons, and they said, we'd like for you to do something else. We want to make a piano that can be used on the front lines in the war theater. So in 1941, the workers had designed a small upright piano. But it was by 1942 that they had designed it. A small upright piano. It was an amazing. It was 40 inches wide, weighed 455 pounds, and could easily be carried by four men on a battlefield. It was treated with an anti-termite and an anti-insect solution, and it was sealed with water-resistant glue, so it could literally rain on the piano and it could survive. And the best part was it only used 33 pounds of metal. The typical baby grand would use 10 times that amount. So it was a little piano that could be used. It was called a Victory Upright Piano. If you see colors of them, if pictures of them in color, they're usually that olive green. And, and what they would do is they would, they would take these Victory Upright Pianos, and when a supply plane flew over the front lines where the troops are, they would drop out guns and tanks and artillery and food and all that stuff, and a crated up, a crated up Victory Upright with a parachute would be pushed out of the plane. It would float down to the front lines. They became immensely popular on the front lines as a matter of fact there's a picture and you, you can go you can do a little research and you'll see that that these soldiers are often gathered around these victory uprights singing sometimes you see them in full battle gear with their helmets on they're so close to the front lines but they're somebody's playing the piano and they're gathered around it singing 2500 pianos were dropped on three different continents it wasn't even over when world war was over when the Thomas A. Edison, the nuclear submarine, was commissioned in 1961. The captain of the submarine requested a victory upright to be put on the submarine, and it stayed on the submarine until it was decommissioned in 1983. Why? Why? Why in the world would we waste money, manpower, time, resources to drop the pianos in a war theater? Because the government knew that while they were on the front lines in the heat of the battle, that sometimes those soldiers needed a little taste of home so they could be encouraged. That dropping a victory upright olive green drab box would excite the soldiers and they'd find somebody somewhere that knew how to play a piano a little bit and that those soldiers would guard a piano with their life because it brought a little taste of home to the front lines they'd play and they'd sing sometimes popular songs many times hymns and church songs play and sing and it brought a little taste of home to the front lines you know what church is when we gather together and worship together and do what we're doing today do you know what church is it's God dropping the piano of worship to the front lines so we can get a little taste of heaven while we're here. While we're out fighting a, 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 an antagonistic culture, while we're out 
fighting the enemy, while we're out fighting the devil, while we're out battling the world, God gives us a church so we can get a little heaven practice. So we'll be reminded of our real home so we'll know what we have to look forward to. Can I tell you this? You you probably can't see me over here, but when we sing, I, I give it all I got. And I got tons of volume. But I don't have anything else. But I, I'm singing over here to the top of my lungs. You know why? You know why? I'm just, I'm just practicing for heaven. Because I'm, I'm getting me a bus in heaven and putting my name on the side of it. Big microphone and stage. And I'm going to grab some angels and I'm going to go around heaven. And I'm going to sing to my heart's content. I'll sell you a ticket when we get there. Like, I'll let you come to one of my con- like I'm. I won't, God, I, I spent all those years of my life not being able to carry a tune. I deserve some good vocal cords when I get to heaven. I deserve it. But, but, but I don't have them, but I'm, I'm singing everywhere I go. You know why? Because there's a little taste of home right here. And that's why when we sing, hey, join in. That's why when I preach, say, say amen. When we have church, hey, this is not meant to be a spectator sport. This is your taste of heaven. It's your victory upright for the front lines. Every week when we gather together for church, for God to say, hey, hey, if y'all will show up and y'all will worship and sing, do all those things that magnify the name of Jesus. Remember I said in Psalms that I inhabit the praise of my people. And Sundays are our parachute piano dropping into the earth. That's why church is important. That's why church matters. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Hey, if you're online, hang with me. If you're online, hang with me. You're in the room, heads bowed, eyes closed. Rossville, online, heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're a Christian, I want you to spend a moment with God talking to him. Would you do that? I want you to be brave enough right now to ask God the question, no matter where you are, ask God the question. Am I as committed to the church as I ought to be? I know some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute, you're a preacher, that, no fair, you're a professional Christian, you get paid to be good. I, I know, I know all that stuff. Can I tell you this? Long before I was in ministry, I was as committed to the church as I am now, long before. That didn't start with ministry. Long before I was in ministry, my wife and I never missed a church service. We served, we gave, we did everything. I'd encourage you to, I've, I've lived it, I've done it. Be brave enough, Christian, just to spend a minute talking to the Lord about your commitment to the church. Let God reveal to your heart how important it is to you. And look, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're not a Christian, no matter where you are, would you look at me? And everybody else heads bowed, but if you look at me, if you're not a Christian, listen, here's what matters to you. That, that message I talked about, that if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you're going to spend eternity in hell. Listen, that happens with your last heartbeat if you don't know Jesus but you can know him today. And it's as simple as ABC. A, you've got to admit that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. B, you've got to believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day. We call that the gospel. Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. And C, believing that you've got to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
So look, would you like to do that today, no matter where you are, would you like to do that and know that heaven is your home and not be terrified of the last heartbeat you'll take in this world? If that's you, would you pray with me just now? Something like this. It's not the words you say, it's the intent of your heart to trust Jesus, but something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I can't be good enough to go to heaven. And I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose again the third day. And just now I invite Christ into my life to save me and to give me a home in heaven. And I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer, look right here with me. I want you to take your phone right now or sometime today and text, I did to 97,000. Listen, if you're watching this sermon a year from now, a week from now, you can text, I did to 97,000 because you are born again. If you trusted Jesus just now and prayed to receive him, you are born again. You are going to heaven and you're going to be so confused about the Christian life. And what we want to do is send you a little pamphlet in the middle that tell you the next steps to take. But the only way we can celebrate with you is for you to text, I did to 97,000 and we'll mail you some information in the mail. Now, every head bowed, every eye closed. Christian, what's your commitment level to the church? If you're watching online, I get some of you need to be home, stay home. We don't, we don't, we, we want you to be safe. We get all of that. But there's so many believers in America now that are they're doing everything but church. And you really can't do church at home. It's fine for a supplement. God ordained it for this time. I get it. It's fine for a supplement, but it's not meant to be permanent. There's some that come and you're not really committed the way you ought to be committed. Lord, forgive us. Father, our prayer this morning is that we would live our lives committed to the mission, the message of Jesus Christ. Lord, you gave us the body to do that, the church of the living God. And so, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to... Uh, live our lives as if the church matters as it's important as what it really is as you say it is the church you died for thank you for Pevine, a group of people that just get it they understand this is about eternity and help us go out of this place on fire help us to light up Pevine city with the gospel of jesus christ and and make a difference everywhere we go it's in jesus name we pray amen amen we hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>